Happy Sunday, everybody. We are so glad and honored that you're joining us this morning for Laugh House Church Online. We would love to know who is joining us and where you're watching from. So say hello in the chat section of whatever platform you're watching on and check in with your LifeHouse family this morning. And we want to say a very special welcome to those of you who might be joining us for the first time. We want to be the first to say welcome home. We know that finding a church home can be a little intimidating, especially if you just moved to the Hampton Roads area or you haven't been to church in quite a while. If it is your first time joining LifeHouse today, we would love to connect with you and send you a gift card as a small way to say thank you for joining us today. You should see a link to our digital connection card in the chat box of whatever platform you're watching on. Please go to that link sometimes before the service ends today and fill that out. We promise we won't try to sell you anything or bombard you with information. We just want to say thank you for joining us this morning. But regardless of how you found us, we pray that the service is a blessing to you. If you're local here in Hampton Roads, we would love to have you come and visit us in person at the Kiln Creek Regal Theater next Sunday. We have two identical services at 9 or 1045 a.m. You can go to lifehouseonline.church for more information. Before we dive into today's message, we want to remind you of the vision of LifeHouse. LifeHouse exists to invite everybody to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, being a disciple, doing life together, being in community, getting in the game, being equipped to serve, and leaving a legacy, being a steward. And speaking of leaving a legacy, thank you LifeHouse for helping us leave a legacy by faithfully investing each week in the vision of LifeHouse. It is because of your generosity and faithful giving that LifeHouse is able to impact hundreds of people with the uncommon life that Jesus offers. LifeHouse family, Kaylin Pike here. I'm excited to let you know that our outreach highlight partner this September and October at LifeHouse is ICM. And if you call LifeHouse home, you know what that means, Miles for Missions. If you're new to LifeHouse and not familiar with Miles for Missions, the concept is simple. First, sign up and let us know that you're gonna be walking to raise money for missions. Second, choose a 24-hour period in the month of October to walk as many miles as you can. Thirdly, recruit as many people as you can to sponsor you per mile you walk in that 24 hours, whether $1, $5, or whatever someone's willing to sponsor you for. Lastly, let us know how many miles you walked and who sponsored you, and then send them the giving link that will be provided so they can follow through on their sponsorship. It's that simple. Over the past four years doing Miles for Missions, we've raised and given over $76,000 towards building churches and hope centers around the world through our partnership with ICM. And this year, our goal is to walk and raise 20K. I've got my friend Andy here with ICM, and he's gonna tell us more about what we are walking for this year. This year, we're walking to build a church in Uganda, Africa. We have an incredible opportunity to be an answer to prayer for a congregation by helping them build a church. In addition to that, we're going to make a significant impact in the lives of 50 women. The northern part of Uganda was ravaged by years of intensive war that left so many people traumatized and without hope. The church is God's message of hope, and LifeHouse will be providing the funds needed to help the congregation of Kungoma build a permanent church structure that will enable them to reach their community more effectively. Once completed, the church will be used to gather 50 women for a women's empowerment program. These women will go through a course on dealing with past trauma and will move on to finding hope through the Word of God. Once they have hope, they will explore ways to develop a small business that will help them become financially successful. I've heard many testimonies from women who have gone through the Women's Empowerment Program, and I can assure you, for these women, it's going to be a life-changing season. LifeHouse, let's get in the game and leave a legacy by either signing up to walk, sponsoring someone who does walk, or by giving a one-time gift above and beyond our regular giving to see the gospel spread around the world through ICM. To sign up to walk, text WALK to 757-690-2401, or to give, please go to givetolifehouse.com and choose the Miles for Missions 2023 fund. But let's get into today's message. Today, we are continuing our message series called Jesus and... Let's go live to the Kiln Creek Regal Theater. Transforming me to be like Jesus. Today, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, our hearts to feel, and our spirits to discern what you are saying 
to us. Let us be not just hearers of your word, but doers of the word. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Give someone a high five and you can have a seat. So we are starting today a mini-series that we are calling Jesus and Controversy. We have been in Jesus and, and today though we're going to be talking about some of the controversial things in our culture that Jesus spoke about. And so over the next three weeks, actually the next four weeks, we're going to be diving into some things that our culture would deem as kind of controversial because we've been in the series Jesus and because we've wanted to get back to what does Jesus have to say about it. We listen to so many voices. We listen to so many podcasts. We read so many books. How many times do we go to Jesus about it? And so we've been looking at the life of Jesus. We have been looking at how he handled certain things, how he talked to certain people, how he navigated life, rhythms, and things like that. Because we don't just want to see him as being Lord, as, as being the one we follow, or as being Savior, the one that saved us from our sin. We want to see him as our example. And there are some things that Jesus talks about that can be uncomfortable. Like, I, don't, I don't know if, if you know this, but Jesus did not always make everyone feel comfortable. He spoke clearly about things that maybe we would feel not comfortable talking about. You know, one of the things that I have heard that Jesus came to do is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And Jesus does those things because we need it. And some of you today, you need to be comforted. You need the spirit of God to comfort you. You are in pain and you are in hurt and you are in loss. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit through God's word comforts you. Some of you today, Some of you today, though, you are too comfortable. You are too comfortable. You're almost numb. It's it's like, and and here's the thing, right? Life has these seasons where we can get numb and we can be on autopilot. And we can almost just get in this, of just going through the rat race of life. And sometimes we need a shake and a sobering to help us be aware of the reality that is going on around us. And so that's what I pray today, is, is that some of you, you'd feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but some of you today, I've, I've been praying, would the Lord afflict your comfortableness? Not to wound you or hurt you, but to in some ways open up your spiritual eyes. So Lord, do that. We're talking today, Jesus in hell. And if you're here for the first time today, I just want to, you picked a doozy. You picked a doozy. Um, I don't say that jokingly, but 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 honestly, I just say that to to say like at Lifehouse, we we aren't afraid to dive into tough things because it'd be real easy in my wanting to please people that I would avoid anything difficult, and that's one of the occupational hazards of being a pastor, of being a public figure, of being someone that 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 is responsible is to tiptoe around things so I don't stir the pot. And, 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 and so today, as much as I did not want to bring this up or talk about this, or I would rather just the Holy Spirit speak to you about it, I really felt the Lord say, John, you need to talk about this. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. And I, I, I just, like, like I said, I, I haven't been this nervous or this unsettled in preaching in a long time. I think because, I, and I can't imagine being a surgeon, you know, to where you, you are cutting somebody open and you are navigating around things that could paralyze people for the rest of their life. So you're, you're like, you're, you're I, I don't speak doctor, so, but it's like, just you, you are trying to like fix somebody and give somebody health, but one false move could actually wound them for the rest of their life. That's the way I feel talking about this. Is I feel that weight, I feel that responsibility, and I feel that responsibility. I can't ever remember a time where I've actually preached a whole message on hell. So I, I want to say be gracious with, with me. But I want to also say, like, you know, lean in with me. Because I, I think whenever we start talking about hell, some of the things that we have to be careful of is pride arrogance and flippancy 
Because I think whenever it comes to hell, and with anything in the Bible, there are things we intrinsically don't want the Bible to say. Am I the only one? And we all come to the Bible with this mix of what we want it to say, what we hope it doesn't say, what we've heard other people say. And then we, there just comes a point in time where we have to ensure that we don't come to the Bible wanting it to say a certain thing, and then we find what we want in it to say what we want. It's like we have to let it say what it says. And then if anything changes, we don't change this, we change. And part of that is, is because we have to put God in his rightful place, right? Like you think when it comes to hell, we can say things like, God would never. Or if I were God, oh, Lord, right? I think one of the reasons why we can struggle with hell is because we struggle with authority in our culture in general. Most of us, there is this allergic gag reflex to someone telling us what we should do or what is true. And if we're not careful, we can project that onto God. And we can even say, if I was God, and instead of us trying to understand God in his mind, we bring God down to where we are and make him fit into our box that we create. Tim, Tim Keller said this. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And y'all, this is our culture because our culture puts a premium on the self. Culture puts a premium on what do you think. Culture puts a premium on your opinion. Our culture puts a premium on subjective truth instead of objective truth. And there is a difference. Subjective truth is what you think is true no matter what anyone else thinks. Objective truth is it's true whether you think it's true or not. There are natural laws that don't care about your subjective truth. Gravity doesn't care. If you're Republican, Democrat, rich, poor, Black, white, whatever else in a generality or thought you want to do. It's just an objective truth. So this is what we have to be mindful of when we come to the Bible about this topic. Another scripture that I think it's important for us to keep in our hearts and minds during this time is that Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts, and this is God talking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And it's actually wild whenever you look at like the distance from one side of the universe to the other side is 93 billion light years. So when you are even calculating heavens higher than the heavens are like for what this verse says, my ways are higher than your ways, thoughts are higher as far as the heavens are higher. Like when you say from one side of the, like God's thoughts are 93 billion light years beyond ours. a crazy thought but it's important that we establish a posture of humility when we come to this topic of hell and we get away from if i were god if he were me if i was him he should and we have this idea where we bring god down to us and so i pray today that the holy spirit would deal with that and we would come to this with the heart of humility I love what C.S. Lewis said, and I just agree with this because he's, he said this, and, and if, you know, and we use C.S., oh, we got C.S. Lewis. <laughs> no, it's hard, it was, it was, whatever. C.S. Lewis. This is the English version. <laughs> C.S. Lewis. Um. <laughs> Sorry. We need to laugh a little bit. Um. C.S. Lewis is, was one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the history of our faith. He, he wrestled with hell. And he said this, there's no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this if it lay in my power. But it has the full support of Scripture and especially, and here's his words, of our Lord's own words. And he's speaking of Jesus. Jesus and, as he, he says, it has always been held by Christendom. He's saying, in tradition, this has not been something that, has, that, that people before us have held to. And then he says, it has the support of reason. And part of his reasoning is because we all have this sense inside of us of injustice. 
And we all know we can have felt things where when somebody has wronged us, this sense of justice rises up within us. That there needs to be a penalty for the crime. For made in the very image of God, we are going to feel what God feels, although in a very elementary 93 billion light years away from how God feels. It's one of the things that is intrinsic, that you are made in the image of God. So there is reasons why you feel certain things. And there's reasons why when someone doesn't feel that, we say, what is wrong? When someone steps foot on your lawn, what do you feel? You have wronged me. Someone breaks into your car. Someone breaks in. You feel violated. So imagine that thought and idea, 93 billion light years beyond you feeling that. But I think C.S. Lewis lays out some important thoughts here because number one, he says, the scripture affirms it, tradition confirms it, reason validates it, and then also we have to put inside of that our experience. John Wesley, a great father of the Christian faith, developed what was called the Wesleyan quadrilateral when he was going to anything in scripture, he would say, I need four things to help me think about anything. This just isn't hell. This could be hell, money, sexuality, any sort of thing. We need to do four things. First off, we need to see what, is the, what does the Bible say? Secondly, what has the church taught and believed for years before us? Thirdly, does it make logical sense? And fourthly, how does it play out in human experience? Now, let me tell you what our culture does with anything. We always put experience before anything. Well, I, and, and we start with I. I've seen, I've heard, I've watched, I, 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 instead of saying that's the wrong order. We don't say I, and then we go to does it make logical sense, and then what is the church taught, and then what does scripture say? We start with scripture. And then we work our way down. And so I think it's important that you can even see as C.S. Lewis was saying this, though he and himself wanted the doctrine to be taken out, he said, I have to look at it from scripture, Jesus especially, tradition, logic, and experience. How's everyone doing? And also, I wrestle with, and I'm just being candid and vulnerable with you so y'all can hear a little bit about what my heart is behind this. It's like, part of my job is to preach God's word, but also part of my job is to teach God's word. Preaching and teaching are different. Can you learn while I preach? Absolutely. But there is a difference between preaching and teaching. Preaching is I am proclaiming a clear truth in scripture, and that's when I yell most of the time. I'm yelling because I'm proclaiming the truth. But then there are times which you will tell, and what I've even heard feedback from you of saying what helps you the most is when I break it down and do some teaching. Where I'm not trying to be, and God said, ha! Right? That's good. And people can feel the goosebumps, and people like that. And ha! Right? But many times through that, there's not a lot of teaching. Because sometimes to teach, you have to get the emotion out of it and present it as it is. And, and, and so when talking about teaching, that, that is something that I feel like. And, and really sometimes when I teach, I tell you things because I think it's even more important not just tell you what to think, but to teach you even how to think. So that's why you'll hear me even put nuggets of Bible interpretation in the message that I'm praying, Lord, let that be a seed that gets in the ground. That when you think about anything, you're like scripture, tradition, rational, and experience. I'm giving you a nugget there to hopefully say, when you think about anything, Lord, help our people to have a heart for the word, but not a heart for the word that says, I want it to say, so I'm going to find it to make it say, Lord, open up my heart, and Lord, I'm going to take this for as it is. Right? 
But sometimes when I teach, I tell you things that I, is not 100% a stamp of approval of what I believe or what our church fully believes, but I tell you it's saying that, do you know what, in the history of the church 2,000 years, there have been possibly denominations and teachers that have taught this, and it's not against, totally against the Bible, but it's maybe not 100% of what we put a stamp on. Does that make sense? Because I realize here there's many denominational backgrounds that you come from here. You know, and, and so I want to be fair in teaching. I want to be fair in letting you know, like, what other people who have been faithful followers of Jesus have taught and preached from generations past before us that have been church fathers, that have been big in the faith, that, that have influenced what, how we view the Trinity, that have influenced how we view the incarnation of Christ, that have even come to different conclusions about what they believe about hell. So as much today as I would love to preach to you, I'm going to give you a little bit of teaching that will probably eventually lead to preaching. But ultimately, you... See, here's the thing. I, one of the worst things you could do is just take my word for it. Because ultimately, I, you know, I'm going to be held responsible for what I teach. You know that everyone, oh, well, Pastor John, you know, when I stand before Jesus, I'm going to be held accountable for you. Scripture says, James chapter 3, that those who teach will be judged more strictly. To whom much is given, much is required. So I don't stand before you today. Like, you know, that's why it's funny. It's like, you know, even Scripture, you want a place of leadership? You sure? Because all you're stepping into is more, judge, is more judgment. <laughs> I'm just telling you that because I'm, I, I take this serious. And so today I, I, I want to start off with a little bit of teaching on the doctrine of hell that it's so hard for me to get everything in, in one sermon. So just be gracious with me, okay? I want to actually share because there have been three, like, genuinely held like three frames of thought regarding hell from people interpreting the Bible that have been like preached and taught in the Orthodox Christian church. And so I want to quickly walk over those. And then, I'm gonna, then we're going to actually read Jesus' words about hell. Because I can tell you what theologians have thought and this, that, and the other thing, but this series isn't about what theologians have taught. This series is about what Jesus says. And I want our main frame reference point to hell not be a bunch of what theologians have said, but to what Jesus' words have been. So I'm just letting you know now. We are going to stand and read the verses together when we get to them. So those of you that are sleeping, <laughs> we know you're sleeping because you won't be standing, okay? But also to, to let you know, exercise is, is coming, okay? But the, 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 so here's the thing, right? If you go ahead and put that up. There have been three main frames of thought about hell. Because here's the, thing, the doctrine of hell has actually been widely disputed throughout church history. There are actually three quite different understandings of hell that have been believed and taught in the historic Orthodox Christian church. And the first one is called eternal conscious torment, ECT. And kind of a general brief overview of that is ECT holds the idea that every human soul is intrinsically eternal. That is, while your soul had a start date, it will never have an end date. And since God is just, it cannot be in the presence of sinful humanity apart from the forgiveness, redemption, and, glorif and glorification made possible through Jesus. Those who reject Jesus will spend e e eternity apart from God. This has been the general thought process of Western church, and that I would, prob 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 that I would probably say, as I look at Scripture and I just take Jesus's words, the other words written in Revelation, that I would say I probably hold the closest to, and probably our church does as well. But then there's a second one, it's, it's called this conditional immortality, annihilationism, which essentially says this, because immortality, living forever, is a gift given to those in Christ and not inherent to humankind, hell is a place where people go and perish, and by perishing, they 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 go to hell they face judgment but then they don't endure it and they don't endure it forever they endure it to a point and then they cease to exist okay and there are some 
guys that I look up to greatly, that preach the word, that are forwarding the church, that strongly advocate for this position, that has caused me to say, I, w- I want to go and explore that. Okay? Every- everyone good? Number three, ultimate reconciliation. And this is called kind of what it's called. It's called Christ-centered universalism. So this is not a all religions lead to God, this is a thought of Jesus' blood purchases everyone and ultimately overpowers unbelief. I don't have time to walk through every, every scripture of why people believe this. I don't have time to walk through like all of that. I'm, like I said, I'm giving you generalities here that might spark inside of you a desire to go and do some research for yourself. Okay? I'm not putting my stamp of approval on none of this. I'm just letting you know, okay? So don't be emailing me. I'm letting you know, and essentially this this thought is, is that Christ's love and his cross and his resurrection will ultimately overpower humans' unbelief, will overpower their disobedience. That ultimately, though some might go to hell, they will have the opportunity to repent. Now, like I said, there have been giants in the faith that have believed and taught, and here's the thing, it's important for you to know not just one idea or thought. It's important for you because here's, here's, here's the thing. I might not agree with that, but when I hear the logic and the reasoning, it gives me understanding to know how someone could get there. This is what some of y'all need to do. Y'all are so locked into your, to your ideology and thought, you won't even do the homework to see what someone else does, not because, because you might even feel guilty for cheating on your own idea. Like, I don't want to cheat on that. But you're actually shielding yourself from growth. Because what you might actually, and the church has been a great, did you know the church wanted so much control of what people thought they wouldn't give people Bibles? Like when the Bible started to actually be printed and translated, the church actually killed Bible translators because they didn't want it happen in the hands of common man. Some people might say, well, that's, that's because they didn't want the word to be distorted, but it was also because they would lose control. Okay? And, and, and so this is vitally important that though you might not believe this, though I might not believe this, I can read the scriptures, I can read the, the logic, and though might not, I might not put my stamp on it, I can say, I can see how they could take that. I can see how they could get there. Because some of y'all need to do this in politics. You have friends that believe certain things, but you won't even dive into what they believe and why they believe it and how they get there. Some of y'all do this with your work. Like you... You just believe what you believe, and this is the way it's, it's always done, and you won't do the hard work to say, well, maybe, now, I might not believe what someone else believes, but I can see how they get there. Does that make sense? So these are kind of the general three frames of thought in the kind of like main, mainstream Christianity that people, the church has taught for 2,000 years. So that, that's cool. It's what, theologians, it's what theologians have done. But now I want to shift instead of saying what have theologians described as being the top three ways that we can view hell. Now let's dive into some of what we're here for, for the words of Jesus. Would you stand up with me? So we're going to look at Jesus's words, and then we're going to, to deduct some truths from what he said, some general truths from what he said. But then I think to me, even what is almost more important than what you believe about hell is how does that idea and that truth make a difference in your life? Because, you know, belief is great, but if belief, if faith does not have action, Scripture says your faith is dead. But if what you believe doesn't make its way into how you act, I mean, Scripture is just just blunt. It says it's dead. It's a dead faith. So, okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 22, this is what it says. And these are all Jesus talking, okay? You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Okay. Can we pause? Something Something that I forgot to say. Okay, you can keep standing. Okay, I just want to say this one time. When Jesus uses the, the word hell in scripture, it's the Greek word Gehenna, which was an actual place. It was a valley south of Jerusalem. 
that was a fiery garbage dump that was a cursed place in the Old Testament because it was a place where Israel had sacrificed their children to false gods. Gehenna was a place where corpses of criminals, dead animals, and all manners of refuse were thrown to be destroyed. The Gehenna Valley had burning sewage, burning flesh, and garbage. Maggots and worms crawled through the waste, and the smoke smelled strong and sickening. It was a place of filth. It was disgusting and repulsing to the nose and the eyes. So when Jesus uses the word hell, whenever we see him, he's using the Greek word Gehenna, which was a word picture that the Jewish people and those he was talking about that he was talking to, they could actually know what he was referring to because there was an actual, we use the term hell on earth. There was a hell on earth that Jesus referred to to let them know this is what I'm talking about. I'm giving you a word picture to know what hell actually is like. Okay, everyone good? Just wanted to throw that out there, okay? Matthew 5, 21 through 22. It says this, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone in idiot. I'm like, oh man. I think I did that yesterday. Sorry, Jackson. Sorry, Jax. And I don't say, say that to be funny. I'm, I, I forget Jesus said this. I can forget he said this. I might be laughing. I don't think Jesus is laughing, right? It says you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in the danger of the fires of hell. Okay, this is Matthew 5, 28 through 30. It says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, and I only have one good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Matthew 7 says you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. Jesus called himself the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. It's gate wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Because Jesus was talking to his disciples about persecution. He says, they can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 13, just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So although Jesus might not have always used the word hell, he was making references to hell by talking about fire and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 23 says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees? A note really quick. Most of Jesus' teaching on hell was directed towards religious people. Okay? What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you are. Matthew 25, and this was in response to the parable of the sheep and the goats, where he was talking about if you give, me a, if you give somebody a cup of water in my name, you do it for me. If you visit people in prison, he's talking about how the way you treat people. And he said, then the king will turn to those on the left, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Matthew 25, 46, he said, and they will go away. And, and this is in response to a parable as well. He said, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. This is Matthew 13, 47 through 50. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, and sorted the good fish into crates. They threw the bad ones away. This is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, everyone doing okay? You can be seated. 
Now, I don't have the bandwidth to go into every single verse, but I do want to give you four, excuse me, th three, well, actually four, four things we can, we can detract from those verses on hell, okay? Number one, hell is real. Number two, hell is a place of judgment. Number three, hell is terrible. And four, it, 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 didn't, it didn't get on the slide, but hell is eternal. So, and, and y'all, like I said, these are Jesus' words. And Jesus' words need to be interpreted. And when you just take his words for what they are, Jesus did not speak about hell as being a place that is figurative. Hell was a place for those who did not want to obey God and what, and what was best. Jesus describes hell as, as being a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's terrible. And he talked about everlasting fire, everlasting separation. How's everyone's spirits doing, right? You know, and, 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 and this is why um, I think many times we need a shaking because I don't know how much I think about this on the regular. And unfortunately in the church, hell has been used as a tool to control and fear monger people, right? I mean, I just think of when, when I got saved, I just didn't want to go to hell. It was my love for God was more fear-based than love-based. It was less about running from a consequence instead of running to the love of God. And so I think there is a balance that as the people, as, as Jesus followers, we need to have. That we need to understand what Jesus says about hell. We need to understand how that it's real, it's a place of judgment, it's terrible, it's eternal. Like, the, the, those things are what Jesus said. And how that can create a lot of different things in us. And hopefully that will create not just a fear of being disciplined by God, but also a holy, reverential fear of the Lord. But many times, like I said, the church has used it as a way to control people. They said, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, if you don't do this. And I, and I think hell was never meant to be a tool to control people. Hell was meant to be a way to show you how good the love of God is. Today, I was just as passionate about not just telling, like not just trying to give you frames of thought and theology and what Jesus said, that's important, but I'm just as passionate as wanting to know how much does your view of hell affect the way you live? Because here's the thing, I can give you good theology, what Jesus said, but if that doesn't translate into the way you functionally and practically live your life, like I said, faith, if it doesn't make its way into belief, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And so I want to ask you some questions when, when talking about, and you might be like, John, I, I just, this is all new to me. I'm still trying to formulate all of what you're saying. I get that. You, you can go back and check this out one more time, or you can go and do your own research on it. But here, here are some questions that I want you to ask. Does, does our view of hell, and this is where today I want to kind of land. Does our view of hell, number one, draw us towards holiness? Does it draw us closer to God? I think one of the things that we forget that, that, you know, we can say God is love, and we sang that God is love, but the most repeated command in Scripture that God in his character and his nature is is that he's holy. Angels don't stand around the throne and say, love, love, love. They stand around a throne and say, holy, holy, holy. 
In other words, that God is, holy means separate, that, that he is like not us. He, he, is, he is sacred. Think about some of the things that you consider sacred. When you consider it sacred, you treat it differently. You, you look at it differently. Like you, it's got its own place. I've mentioned this before, but I've got some expensive shoes. And when I wear those things, I'm cognizant of beast poop. I'm cognizant of not wanting to crease them. So I will wear my Air Force Ones and not crease them. And I'll just walk like I'm a penguin or walk like I need to go to the bathroom. You know, it's like I'm just walking. It's because I care about them. They're important to me. They're sacred to me. And, and, I'm, and I'm just like that. that I, I, I treat it differently. And I think sometimes we miss that about God. And it's, it's because we, we, God is love. There's, it's absolutely true. There's no doubt about it. But it, could it be this idea that God is love that we think he's not, that, that he's passive? And, and I, I just think that hell has got to draw us to more of a, instead of I don't want to be caught to a, God, I know who you are. I understand what you require. And I want your desire to be my desire. Instead of, God, I know you'll look over it. I know you'll swipe it under the rug. Every, you know, and then we almost take the grace of God for granted, which Paul would speak into the church and Romans. Like, this is how bad the Romans got. The Romans were like, yo, if God gives grace when we sin, I got a great idea. Why don't I sin more so God can give me more grace? I sin, God gives grace. We're both happy. And Paul looked at, the, he wrote the church. He was like, are y'all, I ain't gonna call them idiots because Jesus said don't do that. But he said, I mean, literally what he says, like by no means, how in the world do you think sin glorifies God? Right? They had lost the sense of holiness. And I know in the church, this has been abused. So this word holy, we've kind of become a little, like we've gone to, I think, the total opposite side where people have used holiness to control, like, don't wear skirts, don't play cards, don't go into movie theaters. We have a church in a movie theater now. Uh, and they, they, you know, me, I couldn't eat, you know, Lucky Charms growing up. I couldn't eat Count Chocula growing up because of the vampire on the box, the leprechaun on Lucky Charms. That's what my mom considered holy. And that was just mean. Lucky Charms is so delicious. <laughs> Didn't eat them until I was 14. But if, like, we can get weird holy instead of useful holy, if that makes sense. Stuff that doesn't matter. But we will, like, okay, don't, don't eat, don't eat, lucky charms but don't think god cares about sex don't eat lucky charms like god doesn't care about some of the stuff we're looking at just, just don't eat lucky charms but you know you know what i'm saying like we can just miss it and i think it's because we lose the fact that god is holy is your view of hell is your reality of hell drawing you closer to him to conform to be like him scripture says be holy because i'm holy Israel was not chosen to be different because they were better than. God chose them be, to be holy as a holy nation because he wanted to show who he was through them. This has changed the way I view the Old, the old Testament. It makes so much sense why God got into every piece of Israel's business. Their diet, their sex lives, their clothing, their daily schedules, their worship. Because he was, he was saying, this is who I am. And it's because this is who, who I am. If you do these things, you will become like me. And then you'll share and show me to the world around you. And one of the things that I think is killing the church is, is that when people look at us, they don't see a huge difference. And the, typically the first way people will associate God is they'll associate it by his people. Does it draw us towards holiness? You know, some people tell me, it's, it's so funny how people want to cause hell their whole life and then want to go to heaven. I'm like, why would you live your life bringing so much hell to earth and then think you'll be happy in heaven?
I think when you die, it'll just be a continuation of what you brought to earth. There's grace there, there's mercy, absolutely, and his grace and his blood covers, but just have to think we have to examine some things. Is it drawing us towards holiness? Number two, does our view of hell give us a heart for those who are lost? Because here's the thing, looking at Jesus' life, do you think Jesus' life was lived as if hell was real? You can answer. He even said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. That's why Jesus spent time with those who didn't know him. Like, just, just think, what does your heart for the lost look like right now? And this is not about guilt, like, oh, you, sh- you should. Because here's the thing, if you try to reach people, if you don't have a heart for it, and you're doing it just because you don't, like, you know what I'm saying, it's done out of a healthy, it's done out of an unhealthy reasoning, people will feel that. You ever had a salesman that doesn't believe in what they're selling? And they're just trying to use techniques to get you to buy something? But you can tell the people that have smoked what they've sold. You know what I'm saying. That would sounded so much better in my head. <sighs> y'all, y'all pray for me. Like you can tell those who have experienced Jesus, there's a genuineness that their heart has literally been changed and transformed and saved and healed and set and set free. And it's not these, you know, like I, I I'm so there. There's this guy online. He is a fitness guy I'm, I'm about and I actually hired him to be a fitness coach I'm doing a 12-week cycle starting tomorrow I'm going to be really locked in on my diet locked in on my workouts he's a brand new Christian I mean brand new Christian and to hear this guy in the gym dropping f-bombs while telling people about Jesus <laughs> and I mean I, and I mean honestly this dude will tell anyone about about Jesus at, at the gym. He's telling, and, but the words he says, I'm like, oh God. But part of me is, is, is like, he doesn't, I mean, he was an addict. He almost died from overdosing. That was his life. Like, and he has experienced freedom and hope and joy and peace. And he, his language ain't been cleaned up yet. But I tell you, when I hear him talking, when he's talking to these guys in the gym and he's telling him about how Jesus has changed, made it, that dude hasn't, he's not just doing this for religious duty or to get to heaven. He's doing this because he has given away what he has received. And I think we struggle with reaching the lost because we struggle to realize that we've been found. So does your view of hell give you a heart for those that are lost? Last, you know, and, and this is what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap over, leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about our knees, or of arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned or unprayed for. How's everyone doing? All right, lastly, does our view of hell make us be in awe of God's saving love? I said it, you know, that we don't know how good the good news is until we know how bad the bad news is. And I think normally whenever we think about hell, we normally think about how terrible hell is. And, you know, why would God, and if I was God, and, but I, I, I think, you know, because even people say, like, how could God send anyone to hell? How could God allow anyone to go there? And I think that's a valid question. But I think even one of the most more important questions is, how could God allow anyone to go to heaven? If he's holy, and we are not holy, how, 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 could, any, like, how could God allow anyone to go to heaven? It really is a matter of perspective, y'all. Because you can focus on how bad the bad is, or you can focus on how good the good is. 
the ultimate good. And what my hope and prayer is, you can, you can come up, brother. What I'm hoping and praying is, I know I've shared a lot today in a short amount of time. I know I've kind of jumped, but trying to fit every, everything in. It's like, really, I feel like my heart today is to drop some nuggets. If you really care, you'll do some, home, you'll, you'll do some homework. And what I'm passionate about is how ultimately does your reality and view of hell affect the way you live? Because it doesn't matter what we believe if it doesn't affect the way we live. Faith without works, belief without action, he says is dead. You can have the right view of hell and it doesn't affect you and your view of hell doesn't matter. Does that make sense? So my hope is that our view of hell would make us so much more thankful for the mercy and love and forgiveness of God than it does look at the questions, which are valid, which you can ask those and you can explore those of how could God do or how could God. But my heart in prayer is that it sobers us to this reality because Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody. That's one of the reasons why, like when I saw this and I was just reading the scripture, I was just seeing a continuation of how Jesus was unafraid to talk about it. I'm like, oh, he talks about it. We need to talk about it. I pray today that, that it has been sobering, that maybe something that has been in the peripheral or maybe something that's just become lost in your mind, maybe it will become something you think about and pray about and you do some research on and you really say, how aware of this reality am I? But ultimately, that if you have been found today, if you are one of the ones that Jesus has found, that it would raise up in you a new sense of gratefulness to God. That this reality of we have been saved, we have been brought into a new life, that Jesus' blood has washed us and cleansed us, his resurrection has defeated Satan's sin and death and hell and the grave, that it would make us fall on our knees and say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for giving me what I don't deserve. And that as a result, that it would give us a heart for people, a heart to focus on what matters that it would sober us, that it would give us a reverent fear of the Lord today. Would you stand up with me? Lifehouse, let's take some time and respond to God's word and worship today. During this time, set aside all distractions and ask the Lord, what is my next step after hearing God's word today? Let's worship. Your love was 
Lighthouse, we hope that today's service impacted you. Whether you said yes to following Jesus, would like to get to know others through being a part of a life group, or want to start getting in the game through serving or start being a good steward of your resources through financially giving towards the vision of Lighthouse, we want to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. And the best way to do that is by shooting us a text at 757-690-2401. Let me say that one more time, 757-690-2401. That's our church phone number, and we would love to connect with you there. Have a great week, LifeHouse.